Hey, and welcome back to the Young Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Kenzie Aaron of Aaron Iron and Steel. Let's get right into it. So with me in the internet studio today is a fantastic young maker that I've been following for a while. I didn't even realize that he was a young maker just looking at his knives. I figured, you know, he was somebody on a higher level. And then one day he messaged me saying, hey, I'd love to be on the show. And I'm like, what? Like, someone that old can't be on the show. And I look and he's not that old. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you guys to Julian Cunningham of JCC Cutlery. Hey, Kenzie. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've been listening to the show since it came out and uh, always wanted to be on a podcast. So it's pretty cool to have the opportunity. Oh, yeah. Well, this show is not that hard to get on. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, don't tell my parents that because they're like, they're like, you're on a podcast. Oh, yeah, that's what? true. This is this is the most exclusive show of all of them. Yeah, I had to I had to go through a whole application process, actually. I had to, I had to write true. three essays. You were thoroughly vetted. Yeah, and you passed with flying colors. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So how, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm uh, been getting a good amount of time in the shop lately which has been pretty uh rare this year yeah yeah that's really good i've been you know i've been somewhere in between last week i got into the shop a lot and then this week things have been things have been pretty hectic Mm -hmm. so today i wasn't in the shop at all i've been making spaghetti all day oh Um, i i saw that on your story i i must say i'm a big uh, fan of making fresh pasta. I'm curious to see how that turned out. Mm, this is my first try, and it's pretty exciting. I made ramen, like ramen noodles from scratch, the, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh-huh. and I had to roll it all out by hand and stuff. And that oh, was I, I, I did that the first time I made fresh pasta. Never again. Yeah, you do it once, and that's it. And ramen is even like harder. It was almost like rolling out rubber. Mm. Um, the noodles were pretty good though, even though they were thick. Did you do like the whole baked soda thing? Um, no, I ended up just using baking soda. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, tr- I tried making them once. I, I, I couldn't tell, honestly, that the noodles turned out pretty good, but I used like terrible store-bought broth and it kind of ruined the whole thing for me. Mm. But it's a, it's a pretty interesting process. Yeah. I definitely want to get better at it. And I tried making like my own, uh, what do you call that sauce? The, oh, I can't remember what it's, it's like a special soy sauce tare, soy sauce. tare. Like the, yeah I tried yeah that. the flavor right? tare mm-hmm. i did it i did a an aromatic oil mm, yeah. it, it ended up pretty good like it was a i definitely want to do it again and get better at it next time i'm going to do my own broth too and then cool. today i'm doing yeah pasta pasta sauce from scratch it's nice. a lot easier with a with a pasta machine for sure oh yeah yeah so i'm having a good time and yeah, just just for you listeners to know, I was up until four o'clock last night. Um, so if I'm a little bit if I'm a little bit off today, or you're missing something from me. I'd like to apologize in advance, but I think I think I can still pull a good episode out of the depths of my sleep deprived brain. Um, so we'll we'll just have to see how this goes. But Julian, we're talking about pasta here, and nobody even knows. You know, where where you're coming from here. Like, I know, because I read your three essays. But do you want to tell them about how how you got into this and what what's brought you up to now? Yeah, sure. So I started making knives um, in eighth grade. Um, this was about five years ago. Um, I, I, I've kind of made things my whole life. I've always liked sort of, you know, 
creative pursuits. Um, you know, in class, I was always kind of drawing a lot and, and I, um, you know, kind of zoned out, you know, typical maker backstory, like, you know, school, you know, I, I try, but it's hard. So I was always kind of, I always kind of enjoyed making things. And I think I didn't really get super, like, I, I didn't have like a specific hobby, I'd say until around fifth grade. Um, when I, when I started making uh, remote control airplanes, um, and, uh, it's interesting. The, uh, the way I, I got into that was, is sort of the same way I got into knives and a lot of other hobbies actually, which is I, I saw these videos on YouTube of people making remote control planes just from scratch. And I, I thought that was crazy. I, I didn't even know remote control planes existed. Nonetheless, you could make one yourself. And it was sort of the same story with knives. I, you know, a lot of kids, you know, um, get, and adults that get into making knives were, you know, loved like uh, Lord of the Rings or like fantasy stuff and swords yeah, and knights yeah, and armor. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> that, I'm not that guy. That's like, for me, I I never really found that stuff. I mean, you know, it was kind of cool. Like maybe, you know, I remember being in like the library in like second grade and opening up the arms and armor book and being like, oh, that's pretty cool. But um yeah, I was I was never really that um, kind of obsessed with um, those kind of things until I really uh, sort of saw people making knives on YouTube, and um, and and it's what I think what really uh, sort of uh, interested me about the process was was the um, or what interested me about knifing itself was the process. I I loved just the tools they used to make it. Um, I've always kind of had a love for tools, um, and and I found the process just to be amazing. It was like this sort of blending of of metalworking and woodworking, and sort of all these like um, types of making that I was interested in, and they were all blended into one. And um, I I sort of found out about knife making because I was I had taken up an interest in woodworking in maybe like seventh grade. Um, I, I made a couple long boards in, in middle school um, and, and I I just remember being like totally broke and just trying to make all my own tools and that was that was like the most fun thing was uh, I tried making like a like a scroll saw with like an old jigsaw and um, I couldn't even afford like plywood or anything like that so I I used like old um, you know that stuff that like Ikea cabinets are made out of oh yeah yeah, that particle board. Yeah, exactly, like that. Um, used, like, particle board and then, like, you know, drilled a hole in it for the blade and then bolted the jigsaw upside down to that. I mean, the thing was so dangerous. But um, <laughs> doing stuff like that, that uh, I, I was trying to make, like, my own, like, woodworking tools. And, and I, I was really a big fan of uh, YouTube channels. Like, uh, Jimmy Duresta was, like, a really early influence for me. Um, and I, I think most, uh, makers sort of right now uh, probably follow him. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I remember just kind of binging all his videos and I saw him make like a dagger and I was like totally amazed. Like, I mean, just, uh, you know, I, I think what captures a lot of people about the knife making process, you know, all the sparks and the fire and all of that stuff. And I, I was, I was just like amazed by that but also just by the fact that like 
a knife was something you could make and you didn't necessarily need to be in like a like a, a factory operation to do it like like he, he's just a guy in his shed with like i mean he had some pretty nice equipment but even still like it was it was yeah, wild that's what that's what got me i was watching forged in fire mm-hmm. and yeah the idea that you could make a knife and then i remember like when i first got into it and i was like all right well i need it to be like like a store knife right it's got to be on that level and now at this point like i don't know i don't know how to say this without sounding pretentious but like you know i'm definitely aiming my sights a lot higher than a grocery store kitchen knife you know what i mean totally but totally. when i started i was definitely like all right i gotta get this up to store-bought quality yeah, is, yeah which is funny looking back now no i i feel the exact same way like i was i mean the knives in our kitchen i think we have like a we had like a zwilling block set that we still have and you know, those, those knives kind of suck. Um, you know, mostly just because they were super, they never, they hadn't been sharpened in like 20 years. So, you know, yeah. um, and I think uh, that's kind of what drew me to kitchen knives actually is sort of as I uh, got more and more interested in knife making, you know, I, I, I actually thought hunting knives were cooler um, looking and um, even though, you know, I live in Washington, D.C. I don't know. Um, I've never hunted before. So like, um, but I thought those knives were cool, but then the only knives I had ever used were kitchen knives. And, um, and then I, I think I, I kind of just wanted to, um, I, what I realized is I, I really wanted to, to sort of impress people with knives, like just impress people in my life with what I was making by making knives that like they could use. Um, I think when I was starting and, um, yeah, like I, what what actually ended up happening to me is I, um, my first knife was a, just an unhardened piece of 440C, so that's that's pretty, pretty quality materials and um, and yeah I I ended up buying a belt sander sort of on a whim with like just spending all my money at Harbor Freight on a four by thirty six, and um, I, I just remember like taking random pieces of metal from around the house and just like shoving them into the grinder just to see the sparks <laughs> and um yeah i i ended up like buying a piece of 440c and uh and grinding it and and sharpening it and of course it wasn't hard i thought hardening was like optional <laughs> and um I, I think that's how a lot of people feel when they first start well yeah um, i mean i was making knives out of mild steel like i had a, I had a round bar and that's what i made my first couple knives out of then i did some out of rebar I was I was water quenching the rebar for sure to make sure it was. Uh, oh yeah, I've heard you can get like like into the fifties HRC from oh, rebar quality. like that. Oh, seventy five yeah. HRC. Oh yeah, yeah. That's great. Well, and, and you know if you don't temper it, you get extra HRC, so even better. Yeah, that's true. Tempering tempering just wastes all that hardening you just did. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, so I I actually eventually built a. Sorry, I'm I'm not really delivering this story in a very li- like a perfectly linear way, but um, I'm following. Hopefully, uh, hopefully at least one of our listeners is following too, and yeah, you know, we'll hopefully, be good. hopefully. Um, I I ended up uh, getting a building a forge um, right after I made that 440C knife because you know it. I mean it it sucked. I mean and on, I think what sucked about it, I thought at the time it sucked because it wasn't hardened. And to be perfectly perfectly honest, uh, the 
the heat treatment was like the least important thing on that knife. I mean, it it was basically just like an eighth inch thick of metal that had been sharpened. Like it, there weren't even really real bevels. Oh yeah, mine didn't even come down to a point. It's like, you ever <laughs> see those toy knives you can give to little kids? Yeah, yeah. Mine ended up like that. And then I was trying to sharpen it on the stone mm-hmm. with like a completely rounded edge. And I was like, oh man, this stone sucks. Like I need, I need a coarser stone to be able to sharpen this. And yeah, I couldn't have been further. Yeah, the stone was the least of my problems. The handle was just it was like the round bar left untouched, and then I I paracord wrapped it. Hey, I mean that, that that's rustic. That's I mean for me, mine was made out of uh, you know like I mean for the first like three years of my knife making career, I was just like totally broke. So I actually kind of missed that time because I was just so innovative with like the type of shit I'd make my knives out of, like. Uh, so the 440C, I mean, that's like a legit knife making material, even though it wasn't hardened. But, um, then the handle was, um, I, th- I want to say the pins were like drill bits and the, uh, the, the wood was a piece of maple that I found in, um, in, in our basement that was previously one of the legs of a, of a futon. Hmm. And, yeah, um, I remember looking anywhere for anything that you could make a knife out of. Oh yeah, I I um, I I kind of lucked out. So my my parents are architects, and um, turns out you can get really great wood for free from uh, flooring samples. Ooh yeah. Uh, so like some actually really nice pieces of well, I mean really nice for flooring pieces of of walnut and um and like white oak and and also this one time I got a sample for like a uh, I think it was for like a window frame or something, and it was made of mahogany. And that was like, that was like the best day of my life at that point that I found mahogany to make a knife handle out of. Yeah. Yeah. I remember finding, finding weird stuff to make knives out of. Yeah. Um, and maple, maple trim for like, you know, for around your door and stuff. Oh, like, the, like to, the molding stuff. Oh yeah. I bought that at Home Depot. You could get like nice. a block enough for two knife handles for a buck 50. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I feel like every knife maker has that one phase where they're like they're like oh wait i can go to home depot and i can get a two by four and that's like a thousand knife handles yeah yeah definitely but yeah. uh i, I want to seize on something that you said oh, almost sure, like yeah. 10 minutes ago now and i've been i've been just stewing on um you talked about like the first time you saw knife making it was the process that awed you you know the sparks the heat the you know, sort of just everything that's going on to get to the knife. So mm-hmm. would you say that in your work now, as like, just as when you got into it, you're more of a process oriented person or you're looking more at the product? Um, I'd say that's a very interesting question. I, I think now, um, a little bit of both. Um, so I'm sort of kind of every, every time I make a, a knife, I'm really sort of figuring out what I want my end product to be, you know, you know, drawing it out, making the design. And then I'm sort of, I always like to, you know, experiment, change up my process of how I get there just to kind of, you know, usually, you know, for efficiency, but then also kind of, um, you know, sometimes there's just steps uh, in the knife making process that just kind of suck that you really want to find a way out of uh, or a way around or like a better way to do it. And uh, that's part of the fun, I think, is, uh, you know, finding new ways to to sort of do different processes. And like I, I just recently got a, um, a, a 
it's called a it's a Shinko water wheel. It's a horizontal water wheel that from I imported it from Japan. Oh man! And I've been using that for thinning. It's amazing. <laughs> oh yeah, it. how like. Yeah, I've always I've always wondered. I actually have a ton of questions about thinning. I don't know how much you know about it. I could talk like days on end about thinning. Oh, awesome. So first, like if you don't mind me asking, how much did that water wheel cost? So I got a great deal on it. I bought it on eBay um for uh I got it for 150 bucks. Oh, what? Yeah, and it's per it's exactly what I wanted because sort of the problem with thinning is um you know, I mean, I have a 2x42 grinder and I uh it's just it's single speed and I, I can't I can't thin on that thing you know once the edge gets to a certain thickness I, you know I've got a water system uh, so that it, that it, it's not gonna overheat the edge but and that's something that will happen like instantly if you try to do it without it if you try to get the knife really thin on the grinder um, on a single speed but um yeah with that with that water wheel it's sort of like a great intermediate step between you know getting off the grinder edge is pretty thin go to that water wheel, you know, 180 grit, um, and then kind of sort of refine my bevels and then do my final like thinning bevels I, I like to do. And then I go to the, the stones to do that last just tiny bit just to get everything kind of perfect. Okay, but, so yeah, uh, yeah, then you're spend you're polishing your entire bevel on the stone too? Yeah, so this is something I, I use like kind of a hybrid between... Um, between sort of, I guess you could say like Western, like sort of style knife making process and a bit of like the Japanese style process. So, you know, in Japan, if you ever sort of um, watch videos on how they do it, and there's a couple of people that um, make knives in that sort of traditional Japanese way, um, you know, in the States, like Murray Carter is a good Carter, example yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, you know, Basically, they're using a pretty small power hammer, typically, um, you know, hammering out the blade, getting it very, very close to the final sort of shape and thickness just on the, you know, from the hammer. And, and, and they're using the power hammer and then also by hand a bit. And then basically from there, sometimes you'll see those guys, um, what, what I've seen a lot actually is they, they use like a, a metal shear and they just cut out the profile on that, like while the blade's still hot. Um, or I don't even I don't know if the blade's still hot necessarily, but like they're not profiling. Cold. Yeah, it might be cold because a shear makes more sense for cold in that case. But do you know the kind of tool I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah, they're doing their rough profile on a. It looks like yeah, just any normal shear you could see in any in any fab shop. Yeah, and 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 you typically see them do that, and then I what I've seen a lot of times they don't even rough in the bevels or anything. They just they just quench. Uh, they heat treat you know with without grinding into the blade at all. Yeah. And, um, and then the sort of last bit, they'll usually do a vertical water wheel, uh, for the roughing stages to get those bevels in. And I'm thinking, I'm talking, this process really only applies, uh, or mostly applies to like Kurouchi, like kind of traditional Japanese kitchen knives. Yeah, um, for sure. And yeah, so they, they'll get those bevels in and then usually finish on water stones. And, and I, I sort of, I, I'm not a blacksmith. I, I don't even have a forge anymore, but, um, I... I sort of try to incorporate aspects of that process when I can. So I, I do a lot of work on stones. Yeah. Um, actually, I don't hand sanding. I, I can. I'm, I'm a very slow worker, but I can get hand sanding done um, through all my grits in like an hour or two um, because I'm doing most of my um, sort of I, I'm sort of polishing the knife on the stones for the most part. 
Now, I'm, I'm fascinated by the Japanese, the traditional Japanese way of making knives, and it's still how most of the handmade knives in Japan are done, so... And that's definitely a dream of mine after I'm done school. I want to go... Have you ever seen the Seki Knife Village? Oh, yeah. Yeah, dreamed of going there. Yeah, that's definitely like... You know, I don't know if it'll be after high school or after university, but whenever I have money and the opportunity, like I wanna, I wanna go and study there for a little while, because I'm pretty sure you can, you know, it's sort of open to people who want to come and learn the craft, and I'd love to pick up how they do it, because I don't know. Every time, have you ever watched the Springhammer documentary? Oh no, I haven't. I'll I'll send it to you. You'd probably really like it, but I'm sure I would. Um. It's from it's by Kevin Kent. He owns a bunch of knife stores here in Canada, and he went he goes to Japan every year, and he knows all the Smiths, and you know they have personal relationships, and and uh, so he made a documentary about them, and it's it's great. Watching that was sort of what made me make kitchen knives, because originally I was just sort of making oh that looks cool that looks cool, and then I watched that and I'm like oh my god, Japanese kitchen knives are crazy. Like, the way that they make it seems like the most pure way to make a knife. Yeah. And that's that's a big statement. And, I, you know, I don't mean it to its full extent, but that's how it feels to me. You know, there's yeah, something no. like... It's like they've perfected that process so well. And so I try to get mine, my process closer to that. And so what I'm doing now is I can actually, on my, on my grinder, if I have fresh belts, I can bring it up to an 800 grit equivalent trizact finish with a you know 1000 thick you know ready to sharpen edge right on there so it's i'm getting pretty thin although i do burn edges occasionally but i'm definitely getting better at at uh getting really thin on the belt and then i'm taking it straight to hand sand at 400 grit and you know call it a day but i really would be interested to see edge thinning it's something that i've been interested in a lot i follow like brian Raquin. oh rakeen yeah Rakeen, i've seen oh, i've yeah, uh, seen it wrong. I, I got to i got to i know i didn't use it but i i um on a on a trip to i was in new york uh visiting uh, a guy i know that's a sharpener saw like a rakeen like it was like a 300 millimeter suji Ooh. it was a really cool knife yeah his is so beautiful uh simon simon chef knife uh I can I can't remember his actual last name, but he's in France, and he's doing similar to that where only you know the first oh maybe half an inch to an inch of the blade is ground and the rest is left forged, and mm-hmm. I love that. And I don't want to go quite that far, but just getting closer to that like I don't know the simplest knife. I love it. I love it. And so edge thinning is something I'm really I'm really looking into buying a set of nice stones. I was looking yeah. at the Shapton glass, but they're so thin. I'm worried if you're thinning on it, it's not going to last long. Uh, but they're really I, hard stones. So at the I, same I've time. been using the glasses uh, for a, a while. I got a 500 and 220, and um, I, I, I actually I, I'd highly recommend them. But the uh, the 220s lasted me about a year, and I'm a, I'm about to have to replace yeah, it. That's not bad though. Uh, but oh, sorry, sorry. Go oh, ahead. I was just gonna. I found a place that has a really. They have a good deal if you buy it as a set. So I think it's three three different grits, and you get a good deal on the Shapton glass. So I was definitely thinking about picking some of those up. Yeah, I, I'd look into that. Do you want me to get into thinning? I feel kind of bad because I, I've, I've we've sort of gone like uh, I thought I was going to do this kind of like linearly, like I would uh, 
you know, explain my background and, you know, not as I worked on what I'm working on, but we're kind of just going straight yeah, into things. Go, but go I, I like the, the way flow. it's going. We're doing, we're doing good. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about, um, your thinning process. Um, yeah. So hugely so curious. Thinning is literally like the most difficult. I, I think it's the hardest part about making kitchen knives by far. Like it's so much more complicated than it seems like, and so much more difficult. Um, I, uh, I actually just posted a, like a pretty, like a 10 minute long video on my Instagram sort of explaining how, um, sort of why, sort of ba- the basics of, of like how and why I thin my knives, but I'll sort of explain what I said, um, here. Basically th- the thing about thinning is the reason why we do it is because, uh, if that knife is thinner behind the edge, then that's less force required to cut the food. It's, I, I mean, I don't know scientifically how to explain it super well other than, um, you know, what I say is, is with high-end kitchen knives, my, I actually don't care about how sharp it is out of the box. Like, how the edge, I mean, you know, people always talk about, like, oh, like, your knives must be really sharp. And, I mean, yeah, they are. I spend a lot of time, you know, studying sharpening and improving, and I, I can get my knives really sharp, but I actually don't care about that. I mean, sharpness ultimately is, is, um, that's up to the owner, you know, the owner of the knife, if they're using it, they, it's sort of their responsibility to keep it sharp. And And that's kind of what I, I, at this point, you know, although it um, it should be sharp when they grab it, of course, like people appreciate that, but in reality, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like, I see it as like a cherry on top kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of nice, but also just to, just to cut in. I think that the thinness behind the edge affects your cutting ability just because you're putting the same amount of force over less surface area. So, you're, uh, you know, pounds per square inch that you're putting on that edge is actually huge when you do the math, seeing as how the edge is, you know, almost nothing. It's this sliver of steel mm-hmm. and you're putting, you know, a pound of force on it. Well, your pounds per square inch is huge. And so taking and thinning that edge out definitely, definitely, you know, cuts, yeah. cuts easier. And um, on a high-end kitchen knife, sorry, I'll, I'll let you get back to it. I just have one more thing. Uh-huh. Um, but the way I've been looking at it lately is that a high, or the knives that I make should almost be made, or uh, most of the stuff I've been doing now, obviously different mod- or profiles would be for different tasks, but most you know general-use kitchen knives should almost be as thin as it can be without rolling over when you cut a tomato, you know? Because, yeah. like... It should be a knife that's never going to hit anything hard. And yeah. when you're paying the m- amount that you pay for a custom knife or a handmade knife, you're not going to be hitting. If you're hitting anything hard, I don't know what you're doing with your money. You know, so I really do believe in really thin edges and I'm working towards that. And hopefully th- what you're about to say is going to help me. So sorry for interrupting. No, no, no. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I, I, um, I, I think it's this there's this weird like sort of notion um, in the knife making world that, that like all your knives should be able to like chop down a tree. Like, you know, guys will be like, Oh yeah, here's my, here's my like, you know, a one tool steel knife that I hardened with a, you know, with a torch in like peanut oil. And I, you know, this is this, this kitchen knife that can, I can chop down a tree with it and it will still, you know, shave my arm. It's like, that's great that you can do that. But I don't uh, like, why, why is that your standard for a quality kitchen knife? Like I'm, I mean, it's it's like 
the way I, I, I like cars, so I kind of like to think of these things like cars. It's like if you're building a race car that's meant to drive on a track, then why are you testing off-road? Like, of course it's not going to do well off-road because it's not meant to do that, right? And, um, yeah, so I, I, I totally agree. I mean, you should, I think um, I'm a proponent of the idea that, you know, edges should be as thin as you can get them, you know, zero. Like, before sharpening, I mean, my goal is basically, you know, when I make a knife, I'm, I'm thinning. I, I'll actually, I'll explain my process right now because this will kind of yeah. make it uh, make more sense. So I grind my bevels and I actually do hamaguri style um, sharpening um, for bevels. And, and this is this is basically where you're grinding multiple bevels at different angles and then you blend them together to get a convex um, sort of edge geometry. Um, and this is the bevel. The difference between the angles of the bevels is incredibly slight. Like so little that uh, it, I, it's really hard to get super precise grinds because, you know, this is like, you know, one bevel might be, I don't know, like three degrees and the other might be three and a half degrees, you know, very subtle uh, difference in the angle between the bevels. But you get this nice sort of subtle convexity when you blend everything together. And the way I do this is I um, so sort of the knife, your type of knife you're talking about before, um, sort of the Kura Uchi uh, uh, sort of a wide bevel style knife. That's what it's called a lot, um, or at least in terms of the geometry. I, I, a wide bevel is basically what you see in a lot of Japanese knives, where you have the hira, um, which is sort of uh, the um, I forget I forget what like um, Western makers usually call it. Sort of not the ricasso, but the uh, or is it the ricasso? Uh, the unsharpened or yeah, past the heel, that, that junction between the heel and the handle. Uh, sort of, I'm, I'm basically talking about like the, uh, the part of the blade that there's no bevels ground into. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it could be a Ricasso or, uh, I, I guess Choil is kind of the, the heel. No, no, I, I know, I know what you're thinking and I know what you're it. talking about though. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think any knife maker, knife makers listening know. Yeah. Just, just look up a, look up a picture of, just look up Japanese knife anatomy and you'll see what a hira is. Basically, it's just the thing above the bevels. But um, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Well. Well. Well done. <laughs> I apologize to everybody <laughs> who had to hear that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. So the way I, I grind my blades is I um I do typically I do three bevels. Um, first one is very shallow. So I've got my profiled knife that's back from heat treatment. I send all my knives out for heat treatment. Um, I, I get it back. The knife's, uh, I, I, first thing I do is I mark the center line with the height gauge. Um, you know, you put dicum on the edge, you, you mark your center line and I do that on the spine, the edge and on the choil. Um, and then what I'm doing is I, I'm basically covering the whole thing in dicum and then I'm, um, and those who don't know what dicum is, it's layout fluid. It's basically just like this, like ink from a Sharpie, but just in a bottle and you just brush it on. Um, but I, 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 then I take my calipers and I sort of scribe on how I want my bevels to be ground. Um, I, I just make a scribe line and my first bevel is a very, very shallow, um, bevel where I'm basically just establishing the distal taper. So, um, my process is, uh, very different from yours, Kenzie, in terms of how I get my taper, I'd imagine. Cause you know, 
you're forging your knives and you're forging in that distal taper. Yeah, I'm forging completely to final thickness. And actually, I've been str- sorry to interrupt just while you bring it up. No, but no I've worries. been struggling lately to get my forged because, like, for some reason, I'll I'll have it forged to the thickness I want, and then I'll grind the profile in. And when I get down to the middle, it's so much thicker that I have to mm. take it back to the forge and forge it out thinner again. But anyway, that's just that's just complaining. You you go ahead. Uh, no, that, that's that's interesting. What what size stock do you start with? Um, ooh, I want to say I want to say five thirty two. Maybe do you know what that is. Do you know what wide. that is in millimeters? In millimeters. <laughs> I would have to be. And let me look at my ruler right here. Do, 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 do. I've got fractions on the back of my ruler. 532. That would be like th- almost 4 millimeters. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that, I, I, I usually do 3 or 4 millimeters. Yeah, for forging stock, yeah, that, that's interesting because a, uh, a, a lot of Japanese knives, even like the lasers, usually start with pretty thick stock and like really forge it down. And, and you've got the, you got the power hammer now, right? Yeah, I do. Although I need some yeah. drawing dies, I noticed that the Japanese spring hammers interest me so much because they seem, it it replicates uh, a hand hammer, right? Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's almost a smaller domed one coming down onto a large anvil, and I'm almost looking at I kind of want to replicate that with my little giant by making some custom dies. We'll see, we'll see yeah, about that'd be that. Really cool. But yeah, the Japanese spring hammers are so so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I don't know how. I know Murray Carter has one. I, I think that's like the only person in North America that has one of those. I don't know how you get them. Yeah, you'd have to you'd have to bring it with you like a kite and toshi. You know, yeah. You gotta you gotta import that. That's not cheap. Yeah. I'd love to go work with Murray though. Yeah, actually. So this is an interesting story. I, um, <laughs> you might. Geez, I I kind of want to get back into my backstory real quick for a second. But we're kind of already on a tangent. Oh, it's um, fine. We're we're tangenting all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 more. It, it can go. It can go anyway. But um, I I sort of have a connection to Murray Carter because uh, there's basically only one knife related thing in Washington D.C. where I live. Um, there's a place called Union Market, which has a bunch of restaurants, and they have sort of. Um, I mean, it's like this really cool indoor market. They have all these restaurants, and uh, there's a store there called uh, uh, District Cutlery. And their DC is basically only uh, knife store that you know it sells, other than like you know William Sonoma type thing, or you yeah. know where they're selling like Zwilling knives or whatever. Um, so District Cutlery, uh, owned by a couple guys, and they. Um, I know at least one of them actually was a uh, Muteki apprentice for Murray Carter. Oh yeah. And, and I, um, I went there when I first started making knives. Um, and I had barely, this was like, this was before I, you know, I'd even made, I, I mean, I'd made my 440C knife. I made, I made like a knife out of, uh, some old like shear blades. Cause I, I didn't have a way to get hardened steel at the time. And so I was very new to it, but I heard about the store so I went there, and I, you know, they have an amazing collection of knives, uh, and I got to see these knives for the first time. And um, yeah, they they apprenticed under Murray. Um, at, at least I think it was more than one of them. They apprenticed under Murray Carter, and um, I that was one of the first knives. I, actually, that was the first like real high end knife I got to hold it was a Murray Carter um, Damascus Sanmai uh, oh, wow. EDC knife. To this day, like the the quality of everything was just insane. 
And the guys get, I mean, this is like a thousand dollar, like this is only like a three inch knife, but this is like a thousand dollar knife. He just hands it to me and he's like, yeah, sure. Check it out. Yeah. And, uh, that's one thing I got to recommend to knife makers is if you can, if you're ever, you know, and this isn't necessarily that easy because there's not a whole lot of, you know, high end knife stores around, but if you can go to one of these stores and just talk to the owners, if you make knives, they will be totally interested to talk to you. Um, just go in there, you know, just pick up the knives and just look at them and, and, and you'll totally, it will completely change how you think about knives. Like every time I, I do this, I look at, I look at like some of the knives they have and some of them are like sort of, I understand them, but then some, some of these knives, you'll pick them up and you're just like, what, how, how did they even do that? Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, I think that that's like, I, I was listening to, uh, I think it was, didn't, didn't they do an interview with Mert Tansu on Full Blast? They may have. I, I'm not up to date on my Full Blast, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think I think it was on Full Blast. They interviewed Mert Tansu, and he was talking about how you, um, how, how he thinks people that make kitchen knives, uh, their standards, like we kind of talked about earlier, are, are knives like, like a Zwilling or a Wusthof or... So it's typical stuff you'd find uh, in in a home kitchen, and the reality is like a lot of those knives just aren't really good enough to be your sort of what you're trying to achieve, and I think just getting your hands on really high quality knives um, will really change your sort of view and and really give you like a a new appreciation for just like how good a knife can be. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's something and, uh, that I'm missing for sure. I've been I've been looking at lots of pictures. Like I've distilled my Instagram down to like, you know, some of the most high end uh, yeah. kitchen knife makers. I'm slowly I'm slowly getting rid of. You know, when I first got into it, I'm like, oh yeah, man. Like all these master smiths are so great, and obviously they are. They're fantastic knife makers. But for what I want to see, for what I want to do, I'm trying to focus myself now more on you know, more, more dedicated stuff. Of course I have, you know, Jerry Fisk, I follow and, oh yeah, of course. and you know, lots, lots of Mastersmiths, but definitely the ones that I like keep up with and watch, you know, super carefully are all these, uh, kitchen knife makers. And so I can see, you know, how they're cutting and, or, you know, I, I watch their cut test videos and like study religiously, but I definitely would love to get my hands on some stuff. Yeah. And, and I, this is, that's actually kind of an interesting point about sort of you know, like distilling your Instagram feed down to like, just like who you want your influences to be. That's very interesting because I, you know, I used to follow, like you said, like a lot of like master Smiths and, and a lot of people. And that was sort of like, uh, you know, I'd be, uh, you know, after like a year or so of making knives, I knew I wanted to make kitchen knives and that's what I really liked. But, you know, I was still my, I wasn't even looking at that many kitchen knives to like gauge what a good kitchen knife was. I was looking at like Bowie's and like all these cool, you know, like crazy, like integral Damascus, like swords and stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, they had like amazing fit and finish and amazing materials. And I, I just thought that's what made a good knife. I, I never really kind of thought to consider like there were other factors like, you know, edge yeah. geometry and stuff like and, that. And I don't want to rag on Master Smith. Master Smiths are unfathomably talented. And, 100%. you know, they're so talented that it's distracting. You know, like I can't focus on what I need to learn when, when there's the most beautiful Bowie in the world in front of me, 
And so that's all I'm saying. I don't want anyone listening to this to think I'm ragging on Mastersmiths because that's that's the farthest thing from my mind. Yeah, and it's what's uh, I I same 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 here. Like I I'm not I do not possess like a fraction of the skills you need to be a Mastersmith. I've never even forged a knife before. So like like I I'm a stock removal guy, but um you know this guy. Uh, I talked to this guy a while ago who's probably got like $30,000 worth of just kitchen knives, like Japanese kitchen knives. And he was telling me, like, he'd actually seen some Master Smith knives that he just wasn't that impressed with. Master Smith kitchen knives. He said the fit and finish in the steel was, like, incredible. But just in terms of being a quality kitchen knife, they, they just didn't even come close to a lot of these Japanese knives he had. Yeah, did you because, ever... Oh, no, sorry, go ahead. Um, what, basically what he said was, you know, Master Smith, you know, the ABS, they're... They're not really a kitchen knife centered um, sort of sort of guild. They're you know the ABS is like I mean obviously there's a lot of people in the like ABS Mastersmiths that make great kitchen knives, but you know a lot of it's uh, you know the ABS tests are basically centered around like you know kind of big bowies and, chopper, and choppers yeah. and 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 you know you know a lot of you know you can. Passing the Master Smith and then Journeyman Smith test, those are hard tests. You know, those are really hard to pass. But, you know, that that doesn't, uh, just because you can pass those doesn't necessarily, that's a totally different skill set than what it takes to make a good kitchen knife, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, go ahead. Did you ever listen to the, the Knife Talk episode with Aaron Wilburn? Uh, I feel, uh, he's in Florida, right? Uh, it's kind of kind of random, but I yeah I, I, I remember so. yeah then I think I did. But yeah, he's he's an incredible master smith, and he said that you know obviously he'd been making knives for years. He was full time. He was uh, I think by that point he was a master smith, or maybe he was just a journeyman. But either way, he was an incredible knife maker, focused on yeah those big big hunting Bowie chopper knives. And he went and he was like, all right, well, you know, I'll make a kitchen knife. And he took it somewhere and the guy was like, this is this is awful. And so then he had to, this incredible world-class knife maker had to pour himself into trying to figure out how to make a completely different type of knife. And I thought that was like just such a great, uh, I don't know, there's, there's a lesson in there about no matter yeah. how good you are, there's something you don't know. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I, and and I I now I remember exactly what you I remember listening to that that episode. Um, and, and yeah, I mean they're fundamentally very different things. Uh, they share a couple, you know, principles like heat treatment, steel choice, you know, handle material, you know, and the process the processes for at least you know making the handle all that is is relatively similar. You just need but, to you learn know, the edge geometry. Is yeah, really, it's is the really edge geometry. Need is so hard to nail and even and even the heat treatment is too you know you're working with much higher hardness steels and you're sort of um you know like like a it it's it just it's it's a very just a different experience uh and you know i i think i've i've gotten pretty good with the edge geometry of kitchen knives but i don't you know if I made a bow, it would probably be too delicate. <laughs> like Man, I can't even make all types of kitchen knives. Obviously, I'm I'm not an expert here, but I'm someone who considers myself as you know focusing on kitchen knives, and I can only make you know a handful of the types. I don't even make full tang knives. Like 
You know, I don't even know what I would do with that. So, and I, and I barely make hidden tang mimes, and when I do, I like hate myself because they're so I find them so difficult. <laughs> oh man, no, a hidden tang, hidden tang is where it's at. I I I would uh I I'd like to get better at them, but I. For me, it's all about that that sort of fit up with the handle, getting like no gaps. I just can't. Hmm. It it's so hard. I, like, I've been at this point, I can do it with like a lot of technique and equipment. Like, I can do it, but I I yeah, I'm I'm a full tang guy for the most part. And yeah, like you're saying, like I, you know, I make chef's knives pretty much primarily, and I just I made my first petty. Like, I finished it like two weeks ago, <laughs> and. Um, you know, a petty is different from a chef's yeah. knife, and I was—I built it like a chef's knife, and I was using it, and I was like, I mean, it's thin behind the edge, but I—I'm just not—I I mean, it was an experimental piece. I, you know, I just wasn't—I wasn't thrilled with it. Like, it was good, but it wasn't—it it felt like it could be a lot better. So I actually just sent it to a guy I know to to try it out for a little while and give me feedback. Mm. But yeah, do you have a hard uh, time grinding shorter knives? Uh. I not really. I find I found that that knife to actually be pretty easy to grind. I find longer knives to be hard, especially long, thinner knives mm. um, where you when know, it's start flexing, to flex. Yeah. But once yeah. I found eight, six, six to eight inches is kind of perfect. Once you yeah. start getting like under four point five, there's you know so much of the blade is on the platen at once that mm. you start to burn things really quickly. And and if you don't like attack the bevel exactly at the right angle when you hit it you're gonna screw that bevel up so badly oh yeah you know but like with a kitchen knife or you know something longer eight inches you know you put it on and two inches of it is messed up if you mess it up and you just tweak your pressure a little bit and you can kind of feel your way through it whereas Mm. something short you got to be spot on yeah no i totally see that and i um what i my response to you saying like like it burning the edge really easily build yourself a, a water mist system it's like i mean i made one from scratch for like for like 50 bucks and it i cannot like i wish i did this like four years ago it was not hard to make you just need you need an air compressor yeah, that's but what i need is the air compressor i've been looking air at compressor and I, I got a harbor freight air compressor on sale for like 50 dollars like four years it? ago like how uh is it just one of the twenty gallon ones, or those those like little ones you can carry around? Oh yeah, no, it's a three gallon, oh, tiny, fifty dollars. Really? That's yeah. Like, how long does that last you? Uh, I have to keep it running the whole time, but it never runs out of. Uh, oh. I can run it on max pressure, and I'm, I never have any problems. I just need to keep it running. I always assumed you needed a large, you know, a relatively large compressor. No, I, I I've gotten by perfectly fine with the with a little one. I mean, you just need. You need really good hearing protection though, because that thing is loud. Oh my god, it's so loud. Oh, buy your ISO tunes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Are are they the sponsor right now? No, they. Well, they they sent me a sample and they were fantastic. I put them through the wash three times, and on the third time, one of them now doesn't work. So I ordered, oh, but they sell single replacement buds. So I oh, ordered one, and I ordered the wrong one. And I told uh-huh. them, and they were really great about fixing the problem, and they're sending me another one. So they're not sponsoring anymore, but their customer service was just so excellent that I want to give them a shout-out. So go check out Isotunes and get yourself a pair, because they're, they're good people over there. Yeah, I've been I've been actually meaning to get a pair of Isotunes. I'm, I'm doing the, you know, the Apple earbuds under 
you know, with the with the cord underneath the the like big, like three uh, M earmuff <laughs> things. Um, yeah, I really I I really gotta up my game, but I mean it's quiet. Yeah, yeah. But uh, shoot, <laughs> we're already forty seven minutes in. I feel like I feel like I need to close up sort of some of the. We need to go back in time and go back through all. We're like in a tangent within a tangent. Within yeah, a tangent. I didn't even think we we didn't make it through your backstory. So how did you get the, into knife making? Yeah, um, yeah. Before before I explain, I think I, I think the reason why we've done this is we I think we actually just have a lot in common with our interests. Yeah, I think and, uh, I think you're gonna have to come back. We're gonna have to do part two. Oh, I, I'm I'm totally down. Um, all right, yeah. I'm just gonna give like a spark nuts really quick all explanation right. here. Let's hear it. Okay, so. I was interested in, in making things. I, uh, around seventh grade, started doing woodworking, um, sort of just with tools we had around the house. Um, I, and, and I was mostly interested in just making woodworking tools. Um, there's, there's a guy, I think his name is Matthias Wendel, Vandal on YouTube. He's, he's got like two million subscribers, but he makes like all his machines himself. He makes like huge band saws and stuff just out of like plywood. And, uh, and I was I was really um, interested in making my own tools, particularly machinery. Really wanted to make like my own grinder and like and like bandsaw, and I wanted to make all these machines. And and I, I mean I didn't have any money, so I, I sort of started making my own tools, um, just really basic stuff like I was explaining before, you know, just weird jigsaw table yeah, thing. I, you're braver um, than I am. Like when I when <laughs> I couldn't afford a bandsaw, I bought a hacksaw. You know. And now my bandsaw is broken and I bought it. I got, I'm using, I'm buying like new hacksaw blade every week to cut my handle blocks because a fresh hacksaw blade does pretty well. Uh, yeah, I, I do not miss uh, cut, just cutting wood by hand. It, it really sucks. Yeah, I mean, uh, the You should look into, the, if you don't want to pay for a bandsaw, those Japanese handsaws, you can get them actually, you know, relatively cheap, like Dozuki or thirty whatever bucks it's called. Yeah, I've got a, a small Dozuki. I got for like twenty dollars. Those things are insanely good. Like, if I, they, they actually make you enjoy cutting stuff by hand. Huh. Like sometimes I'll just use those instead of the bandsaw, just because it, like, it'll cut faster than bandsaw sometimes. Yeah, I've seen they look good on the internet. Oh, and they're they're like. I mean, it, it's like the same thing with Japanese knives. They, they like look good. They feel good. They're so There's enjoyable. There's something to use. about Japan, like the Japanese <laughs> way of design, is so pure. Ah, ah, it gets me every time. I could go on for. That's like my biggest inspiration. You continue yeah. your story. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're going on we're another not, tangent. We're bad. We're we're very we're, bad. We're, we're so it's bad. It's gonna be a four-hour episode. Yeah. Um. All right. So yeah, I was interested in making tools watching woodworkers on youtube anyway this one time i see jimmy deresta who is a big fan of saw him making a knife i was just intrigued by the process so i started making knives myself you know started with um let's see before i had a sander i um i think man what did i do i i, I know i tried to i i actually yeah i made a i had a piece of like wood and i tried to make just a knife you know just a wooden knife mm. Um, I think I, my tools were like, uh, you know, some sandpaper, a chainsaw file. And I don't think, I actually don't think I had a file at that point that wasn't a chainsaw file. Um, so I can't remember how I shaped that thing. I think I might've only used sandpaper, um, and an, and a hacksaw. Um, sounds like a good time. Like a, yeah. And I, I was so proud of it. 
Um, It'll keep you busy at least. Yeah. And then this this one day on a whim, I, I was walking around Harbor Freight. Uh, it was like my first time in there and I saw this four by 36 and I had, it was like, I think it was exactly $60 and I had exactly $60 saved up and I planned, I, I'd planned on like doing, I felt, I, I think I remembered, uh, I was like supposed to spend that money on something else, but then I just saw it and I was like, all right, this has to happen. So I got the four by 36, got home and then, you know, like I said earlier, just immediately started just like sanding everything with it. Cause I thought I only had one belt, the, just the one it came with like a really terrible Harbor Freight, Harbor Freight, uh, four by 36, like 60 grit belt. And I used that thing for like a month, just like taking random materials, shoving it into the grinder, seeing what sparked and what didn't. Of course, I wasn't even, I don't, I, I feel like I was, I like to think I was wearing safety glasses at this point. Definitely didn't have a respirator or ear protection, but um, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was an interesting time. And then, you know, eventually started grinding knives on it. Um, from there, I built a forge after about a year of making uh, what I'd call knife shaped objects out of random things and um i I bet i of course too broke to buy a forge um and i too broke to actually build like a decent one so i did a stovepipe forge i think it was like an eight inch stovepipe um lined with ko wool super toxic uh unsealed ko wool no i sealed it i I actually had a respirator at this point so i like sort of knew what i was doing but i sealed it with refractory cement and then I couldn't afford to build an actual burner, so I got two Harbor Freight propane torches, and I had those in in there, and that was just enough power to um, to harden about an eight inch or seven to eight inch chef's knife, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I I my first chef knife I made I actually have it sitting right here. I'm looking at it right now. It was a pretty huge step up um, with once I had that forge. Cause I'd never been able to really work with, with bar stock. You know, I, I, you know, ever since I got the four by 36, I started using files. I started using, uh, you know, old like lawnmower blades types of things, but you know, I couldn't forge. So I was really limited to like the dimensions of what I could make based on pieces of hardened steel I could find. Uh, and of course those pieces of hardened steel need to be for free, you know, didn't have any money. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I had this forge. I was I was making knives and and I had worked all summer at a summer camp and I saved up enough money to get a jet two by forty two that I still use today. Um, and yeah, that was, that was a big step for me. The forge and the two by forty two, and that's when I started making knives that were like pretty legit. Uh, and when I say pretty legit, I don't mean like good. I just mean like if you show them to someone, they'd be like that doesn't look like a prison weapon. That's like an actual knife. Yeah. Something, Um, something recognizable. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I started, um, I I was just (laughs) the first like year or so of making kitchen knives. I, I would basically just make the knife and I'd show it to my mom and I, I just like have her cut something and then she'd tell me if it was sharp or not. And like, uh, it took like a year just to get a knife that like actually would cut something. And then I made this first, like, uh, real, legit kitchen knife. Um, like, real chef's knife. But then the handle was too small, and it just, like, was way, and the proportions were weird. It was only, like, one and a half inches tall, like, oh, at the yeah. heel. And it was supposed to be a chef's knife. And, the, and the t- like, the handle's so tiny, you couldn't, you couldn't do anything with it. Um, and, 
yeah, so that kind of, all those, like, sort of failures, like, of still, even after, like, a year, not being able to make, like, a real chef's knife, that, that kind of just lit a fire in me, and I, I just kept going making chef's knives, and, and I probably, six months later, I, I could make a knife that was, like, you know, had, was, like, an actual chef's knife that was pretty good, um, and, you know, my, the quality of my heat treatments weren't great. You know, I was doing, in, you know, 01, which is a terrible beginner steel that for some reason everyone says beginners yeah. should use. I don't, don't know what, don't use. I've never been able to do anything with 01. It's a, it's a really, it's a really good steel if you're like a tool and die maker and you have like $10,000 worth of equipment. Like it's, I mean, it's, it functionally is like, a step above like simple carbon steels like it can be a very good steel and but that's if you do like a soak and cryo it needs the same things as stainless i don't know it will get hard like doing any oh totally any any that's... heat up and quench it will get hard but i don't know if it's i wouldn't put it as reliable as a 1080 yeah no not even close and that's uh sorry that this is the big misconception about 01 it's incredibly easy to harden and it doesn't really warp or anything and this is why I, I used it for a while. So you can just heat it up to red hot, quench it in canola oil, and it, and then temper it, and you'll have like a 62 HRC piece of 01, and it seems like nothing's wrong with it. But the problem is the, the microstructure of the steel is going to be totally messed up. Uh, the, you know, steel is like a crystal structure, and, and, you know, if you were to, you know, break that off or look, it under, look at it under a microscope, you'd have these, like, uh, you'd have a lot of, I, I think... Oh, one's kind of complicated, but I think the main issue is you're, um, man, I, I, I really need to touch up on my, it's, on my heat it's treat knowledge, but... isn't it? Like it, that's yeah. what, that's what makes it so difficult to get good grains. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's a, it's, um, you have to harden it. Like you have to harden a high alloy steel. Cause it's got a lot of different little parts of, uh, it's got a little bit of chromium, vanadium and all these things that usually that require a more complicated uh, in-depth heat treatment to get good performance out of it's got really high hardenability but the wear resistance and the toughness is really terrible unless you get a yeah. really high quality heat treatment that you really need to kiln and cryo for that's why i've been using 1084 for ages and it's because i'm i'm heat treating in a forge but i wanted i picked the it's the easiest steel it's a it's called the yuktoid yeah. point where it's this perfect mm -hmm. mix of it's just carbon and and uh, iron and a little bit of manganese, but that's just for easier to make it harden deeply, right? Yeah, and and, and that's exactly what like you should with be a doing. short soak. You know, I'm just like me flickering the forge on and off. I can get a two or three minute soak, and mul I do quite a few heat cycles, just you know, sort of as I work on it, and I've been getting really really good results with my grain structure. Um, you know, so far yeah, as I can yeah. tell without a microscope. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, the, the sort of performance speaks for itself. So, you know, I, uh, this perfect going back out of the tangent, back into the story. Um, I, right after I got my forge and everything, I made this like hunting knife out of a piece of O one. And I was basically only using O one at the time. Cause I'd read everywhere. It was a good beginner steel. And I used this, I made this hunting knife O one, you know, 60, 58, 68 HRC roughly you know just based off of like how i tempered it and I, I expected it to you know be pretty tough just based off of the information 
I was reading on O One Steel, um, in terms of its performance. But of course, that was assuming that it was heat treated properly, which mine wasn't. Um, yeah, and I had this hunting knife, you know, pretty thick behind the edge, so it should be pretty tough. And I chopped into like a relatively soft piece of wood, and it just chipped. I was like, "Wait, what? Like, like why? What's what's going on here?" And um, yeah, so um, yeah, ten ten eighty four. 1080, 1075, um, those are those are great beginner steels. Even even 1095 actually isn't that great of a beginner yeah, steel. Yeah, 1095 is finicky. Yeah, and it require it really you need a fast quench oil yeah. like an industrial. Honestly, if it gets oil hard, it. it's good, right? Like, yeah. on, and if it gets hard, you'll probably have good grain structure, and you shouldn't have any problems if it gets hard. But it's yeah, it's like Super quench hard, hard. point is a little bit. And it's really, compared to high alloy steels, it's really, really not bad. But compared yeah, to sure. a 1084, it's quench. You know, the the space that it, you know, the amount of time you have to cool it down and the temperature it needs to be at is a lot mm-hmm. uh, smaller window than you get with a 1084 or a 1075. Yeah, it, you can really only get good results and, with uh, with a quench oil or you can water quench, quench it, but you know, well, that's, that's why really you can hard. get hormones on your 1095 too. Cause it doesn't have sure. that manganese that helps the 1084. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll only use 1095 when someone orders a hormone. Yeah. Yeah. And 10, 1095 definitely does a nice hormone. Um, so yeah, getting back to the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I didn't start selling knives until, um, let me see. I think it was, 20, I want to say maybe it was 2018, the end of 2018. Um, I, so by the time I got my grinder, this was freshman year at the beginning of freshman year, I got my grinder and I'm a senior now, um, freshman year in high school. So is freshman uh, grade nine or grade 10? Uh, grade nine. Uh, yeah. Grade nine. You're, you're on like the exact same trajectory and I got my grinder in grade nine and then I started selling, yeah. which for me is just last year. Actually, and you're 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 a junior now, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it would be almost exactly a year ago. I got my first order, and it was for a kitchen knife, and I'd never done a chef's knife before. But I just poured two straight months into making it as good as I possibly could, and from the second I forged it, I was like, "Oh man, I'm only making kitchen knives now." It was so much more fun, Mm -hmm. and that was my first knife I did with yeah my new grinder and. From that point on, I've just made... I don't think I've made anything except a kitchen knife in the past year. I've been, like, completely, you know, 100% dedicated to this. And it's just that one knife started it. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like, I've only made, like, 7 to 10-inch chef's knives. Pretty much only that for the last, like, four years. I made one petty... I made a a Maguro um, 14-inch tuna sword... And then also one hunting knife, and that's that's it. Every everything else just chef's knives. Yeah, like it, we, I, I got the bug. Yeah. Um, no, c- continue. So I, um, yeah, I didn't start selling. I I got my grinder freshman year, twenty seventeen, about then. And at that point, I'd really started kind of my skills really started to improve because now I had the equipment to really make a real knife, and. Um, I was hardening the knives myself. Heat treatment was, you know, fine. Um, it was, you know, probably the the quality of the heat treatment um, wasn't necessarily like the worst. That wasn't necessarily like the worst part of the knives I was making at the time. You know, I still hadn't really, didn't really fully understand edge geometry and all that stuff. Um, 
but I think I by uh, by the end of freshman year, I had kind of a good formula for a chef's knife down. Um, I'd sort of I I was really inspired by um, Liam Hoffman at the time. Still one of my favorite makers. Um, he mostly makes axes these days, but um, I I just loved his style and and also Bob Kramer, uh, of course I. Um, Kramer and Mal Massey, but especially Kramer. I, I just loved the style of knives he was making, so I was just trying to imitate his knives. And, um, yeah, I, by by the end of freshman year, I was making some pretty decent 8-inch chef's knives, and I'd sort of understood edge geometry. Um, you know, my knives were... They, they, they were pretty thin behind the edge, I, for considering how little I knew about edge geometry. I... I mean, I, I ground them to like five thousandths of an inch, maybe, and I, I did like a slight convex grind that wasn't... Or actually, no, I did full flat grinds at the time. And yeah, the, the knives were fine, but I didn't really sell them at the time. Uh, I, I'd done like one knife that like a family friend asked me to make, and I sold it for like 50 bucks. Um, of course, put like a, a month into it. You know how it goes. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so then I started... This this one day towards the end of ninth grade, I I made this, I made this chef's knife that I was really happy with, and I, I felt like I was ready to start selling my knives, um, and I I posted something on Reddit, r slash chef knives, the chef's knives subreddit, and also the knife making subreddit, um, and if you make kitchen knives, post your work on the r slash chef knives um, subreddit because you'll get like really good feedback there. And that's also a good way. You're not allowed to like solicit or anything on there, but if you post your, and and if you're especially if you're a young maker, fine. You know, don't do it all the time so it's obnoxious. But you know, try to incorporate how like just make it clear how young you are. People will buy your shit. Like it's true. People like they want will. to support, which is which makes a huge difference. It yeah. would be hard for a young maker to compete against anybody otherwise. So yeah, yeah. And, and I, I posted something on there and I was basically like, Hey, I'm, I'm 14. I, um, maybe I was end of freshman year. I mean, I guess I was 15. I was 14 or 15. I was like 15 year old knife maker. I made this knife. I don't sell yet, but I, I had this idea where I basically said, I'm looking for a couple people, um, to test my knives for me. I'll only charge for materials. Um, uh, I'm, I basically just wanted people to test my knives, um, so I could sort of get feedback and improve my work before I started sort of officially selling. At this point, I didn't really have a social media presence. JCC Cutlery had not was not an idea I had before. I was just making them on my own and you know occasionally posting them on Reddit. But um, yeah, I posted it, and then I woke up the next morning. I posted it like late at night, and it had like three hundred upvotes, which is like a lot for Reddit, and um, and it had like forty comments on it, and. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I was so excited. All these people were DMing me like, like, oh yeah, I totally love to do this. And I mean, I told them, I, I mean, I see why now. I mean, I told them this knife cost me $25 to make. And they were like, a knife for $25? Like, that's custom? I'm in. Um, so yeah, I got all these people and I selected a couple of people. I ended up doing three test knives and it was... Really, the motivation behind it is I wanted feedback, but also, you know, I still didn't really have any money. I'd spent all my money on my grinder and my forge, and I wasn't really making any money um, other than, like, sort of, like, you know, like, 
carrying stuff or, or fixing stuff at my grandma's house or like mowing people's lawns, you know, kind of typical kid stuff. But I, I didn't really have that much money and I just wanted to make knives. And it, to me, if people could just pay for the materials, that was that was enough, you know. Um, so I, you know, made made these three knives uh, over the course of like the, the summer, basically. Um, and that's where my sort of style really that's like the origin of my style of, of knives that I like to make really came from. And a lot of it came from, um, interestingly, from the mistakes I made while I did it. Um, the, the way I shaped my handles uh, actually sort of came from uh, I messed up shaping a handle and, and it ended up looking really cool and feeling really good. Uh, and I was like, oh, wait, I could I could make this work. I, I basically I hollow ground the uh, part of the handle and... Um, and it, I didn't mean to, and it, it's hard to explain, but it, it it looked really cool and it felt good. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll keep doing this. And so, yeah, I, I just kept improving my work, sending it to people, you know, I actually, I didn't get quite as much feedback as I wanted. Um, but uh, really the last person I, I made one for really gave me, they had a really big collection, like 30 or 40, like nice knives. Uh, and they gave me some good feedback. Um, but by then, I'd started sending my knives out for heat treatment because people wanted stainless steels, and and I kind of realized how much better that was um, than just hardening the steel myself in my forge that really didn't get hot enough to heat treat bigger than a seven-inch chef's knife. Um, so, yeah, I did that, and then around like November or so, of, I guess twenty eighteen, um, I felt like I was ready to start selling my knives. Um, that summer, I sort of made JCC cutlery just, just like uh, on Instagram, and um, and I uh, I sort of tried to build up a little bit of a following on there. But at this point, I was mostly selling through Reddit, or at least communicating with people through Reddit. And um, I uh, I forget how, but I I got a someone interested in buying a knife, and this is I don't really know how. I mean, I had people interested in my knives, and at this point, they were like solid, like like pretty good quality knives. Like they were they were thin behind the edge, um, you know. They had some problems, but they were pretty good knives. But at this point, I was like, okay, I haven't made money making knives for the last two years, so now I'm gonna start actually charging what my time is worth. So I just timed myself. I said, okay, I just want to make like not even minimum wage. Minimum wage in my area is fifteen dollars an hour. I just wanted to make like ten dollars an hour. So I, I timed myself and and I sort of looked at other, what other people were charging and, and people's like ways of coming up with the prices. I, this first knife I sold for like 400 bucks. Um, and, you know, the thing is, I this is do you ever get people that are like you tell them how much you sell your knife for and they're like, oh, wow, you must be making a lot of money. And then you're like, ah, no. Yeah. Yeah. I have friends that keep saying they want to be my apprentice because I'm making so much money. Like, ooh, yeah. you're not quite right, my friend. Yeah, people, I mean, you know, I sell a knife for like, you know, my knives nowadays sell for like five or $600 pretty regularly. But like, at the end of the day, I make less than minimum wage, like, period. Yeah, once you, much buy, once you buy materials and, you know, yeah, I don't know what your that. shop situation is, but if you have to pay for electricity or heat or anything... I, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just doing it in my my basement, so oh, my yeah. my parents You're are paying for that bad. stuff, which is nice. But, but yeah, well, belts. No, people don't realize belts, how much oh belts God, yeah. cost. Oh my goodness. Yeah, 
and and I can't. I buy. I swear to God, I, I buy Rhino Wet by like the pound. <laughs> I, I go through so much sandpaper; it's crazy. Um, but yeah, so I I started selling my knives. Um. And it went pretty well. People liked them. And at this point, I was actually making really good knives. I mean, well, now, I mean, I could tell you like a million things wrong with them. But they were, you know, they were pretty good. Um, because I'd have like two years experience at this point, And I'd, I'd spent all my free time, you know, just researching and studying, you know, these knives. And, and yeah, so for uh, late 2018 and early 2019... I just kind of kept making chef's knives, um, and I, I'd, I'd make, um, I could finish a knife every month or two, um, and I, I, uh, somehow I've never actually run out of clients, like, like, I've never had a period where, I, I mean, there's been times, sort of, while I'm finishing up a project where I'm like, okay, I want to start the next knife, I don't know who's going to buy it, but, uh, I can pretty much, I've been able to consistently have people, um, interested in, in buying, and I think that's mostly just because I produce knives so slowly. Like, I mean, I've made one knife. I finished one knife in the last, like, six to eight months since the summer. Um, I guess that, no, that's like six months. Um, just because of school and stuff like that. So, you know, I I, I can main, I, I can have a pretty good... Uh, there's consistently sort of like a wait list of people that are interested in my work. And, and I just kept kind of going off of that. And what I, um, I, I don't know. I, I kind of felt like sort of by the end of 2019 ish, I felt like I'd really had kid, like the chef's knife, chef's knives down to a science. I mean, they were thin behind the edge at this point. I was basically just doing a very slightly convex flat grind. And, um, I, I mean, they're thin behind the edge. They, they cut, I thought they cut really well because I mean, they did compared to, you know, like, you know, what offer is willing or whatever. But, um, you know, I kind of thought I'd kind of perfected my work, which is a, that's a really big mistake. That's a, day, to think that's a slippery slope right perfect. there. Yeah. Yeah. I know I've fallen and, into that trap a couple of times too. And then I'll always realize it, it. I usually never lasts more than a day or so. And I'm like, Oh, I was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you think you're, you're doing anything with your knife making perfectly, you're wrong. I go on like, Instagram I mean, I was, once and I'm like, Oh, I was wrong. Yeah. Half the time. I don't even want to like post certain things. Cause I'm like, this is just like, I'm going to look back and hate this, but um, that's how you get better. Yeah. So you kind of have to do it. Um, and yeah, so I, I remember I made probably like four or five of this first, I, I've these first two versions of chef's not the chef knife design. I did French chef knife, um, sort of kind of like a pretty pointy profile, Western handle, uh, full tang, um, and you know, getting good quality heat treatment because I was sending it out and all that. But then I, you know, I, I was still pretty active on Reddit and and uh, talking to this sort of community of people through Reddit. And I, um, there's this guy, uh, goes by Barclid um, uh, on the internet. Uh, I, I, I talked to him because he, he, um, he's a sharpener. I, I don't think he works there anymore, but he used to be a sharpener at this place called MTC Kitchen in New York. Um, and uh, he was really... Um, really really good sharpener and like knew just a 
like a ton a ton about um about you know japanese knives and and kitchen knives in general and my parents were actually going to new york because they had a i think they had a meeting they were only there for like a day and i just finished this chef's knife that i thought was like perfect like i i thought i had thought at that point like i'd go there and they'd be like oh yeah it's cuts perfectly but you know i think there's like a j hook there in in the in the blade finish or you know you could have polished this handle a little bit better because uh, I, you know, this kind of goes back to the whole ABS type, uh, yeah, type yeah. thing. It's a lot of fin where it's finishes like, that are really important. Yeah, like w- a lot of the ABS judging comes down to, you know, your style, but also, you know, how well you can, you know, how good of a fit and finish you have. And you look at those Mastersmith knives and it's like crazy, like, like stuff that like you just can't fathom how they get that level of fit and finish. And I thought that's what this guy would be sort of judging looking at my knife. Um, so I went up to New York with my parents. I brought this knife with me on the train, um, which was a little, I was a little worried about that. I mean, luckily I, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't not, I don't think it's illegal. Like I looked it up. It wasn't really illegal. You just say, I mean, it's a chef's knife. I just, I was just going to tell, like if, if I got in trouble, I, I, my plan was just to say like, I'm a chef, but, um, yeah, I, I went up to New York and I, I saw this guy and his friend, um, his friend Aton ended up showing up. Uh, highly recommend following this guy on Instagram, by the way. I think his, his Instagram's like Aton78 or something. He collects really nice uh, Japanese chef's knives. A lot of Shigafusa um, knives, which is... Are you familiar with Shigafusa? Yeah. yeah, he he's got like one of the biggest collection of Shigafusa knives I've seen. Um, and he, he, has, he has like a really just cool collection. He was there too. Um, so I ended up going to MTC Kitchen, seeing these guys, you know, pulled out the knife, um, and, you know, they, you know, started using it. And I mean, first thing funny is like, uh, like he felt the edge and he was like, like, uh, are you sure you sharpen this? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, uh, I, I, I mean, I thought it was, to be fair, I'd actually used it a little bit. So I hadn't, and I hadn't touched up the edge, but my sharpening at, my sharpening at the time was fine. You know, it was good for Wusthof standards, there's Willing standards, but it wasn't for, you know, comparing to these high, super high-end Japanese knives, not even close. Um, and he started cutting things with it, and, you know, so this guy, uh, Barclid, his name Greg, uh, he started cutting things with it, and this guy, Aton, cutting things with it. They're trying it out. You know, I've never seen in person someone dice an onion that fast. Like, these guys, you know, both professional chefs, uh, or ex-professional chefs, um, so they they knew what they were doing, like, and they didn't say a single word about the fit and finish. I was like, I mean, like, I asked them, like, what do you think of the handle shaping? They're like, yeah, it's good. It's nice. And I was expecting them to be, like, talking about, like, the quality of the polishing and, like, all this stuff. And they're like, but then they started talking about the edge geometry, like, a lot. And I, you know, the knife was really thin behind the edge, like, crazily so, actually. It was, I mean, basically just a full flat grind all the way to zero. And I mean, like, zero, zero. Like, this knife was thin. But they started getting into this more advanced edge geometry and profile stuff, actually. They said, your, your profile's too uh, flat. You've got too much flat spot. Um, and this is uh, this actually came from sort of a misconception I had about, about knives. Is um, What a lot of people think is, is looking at Japanese knives, they assume that there's, the blade is mostly flat. Like, and I mean dead flat, not like a very slight curve. I just mean flat. Uh, and then there's like maybe a little bit of curve at the tip, like, uh, 
big misconception. I see this a lot. People look at stuff, single bevels, like a Yanagiba, uh, Maguro Boko, um, stuff like that, yeah. uh, and a Kiritsuke, too. Those knives, most of the, the really high-end ones don't have any flats. There's not a single spot on that knife that's flat. Like, if you see them in person, I, and this is something I just didn't know. I mean, and then I saw these knives in person. I saw this, like, Sakimaru Sujihiki um, in person, and I was like, I expected the whole thing to be flat, and I looked at it really closely, and I was like, wait a minute, this is like a very slightly curved edge. And, I mean, that's just, like, one example of these things that I just, like, had no idea were... Uh, just kind of ex existed and like I, I didn't know these like were details like I just just basically what, what this whole experience was for me is I they kind of broke a lot of like the assumptions I had about things like I assumed if the nice knife is thin then that's all it needs you know and then they started showing me you know well no your profile's too flat because when you cut on the cutting board uh, you get this weird kind of clunking like this like really awkward like um, it, it, it's just not, it, it doesn't feel as good as like a, like a more subtle hmm. curved profile. And then the, with the edge geometry, they show me that, um, it was prone to stiction and basically that, you know, they're like, you know, dicing an onion, it sticks to the onion and it just, even though it's thin and sharp, it, it's, it doesn't go through as well as like a more convex knife. Um, and, uh, and then what really did it for me is, uh, he let me dice an onion with um, this guy, Greg. Let me use his Takamura uh, Ukigomo uh, Gyudo. Really, like, do you know Takamura stuff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is like the Takamura's like highest end stuff. And, and I mean, this knife, like, you know, the spine thickness and stuff was pretty similar to mine and everything. Your profile was different. But then I just diced an onion with it. And I was like... I mean, it was like effortless. It it was just like, like zero pressure. I mean, I was amazed. Like, especially when you do those sort of horizontal cuts on the on the onion, I was like, whoa. Like, oh, man. I had no idea a knife could cut like this. And then ever since then, I've just been like on this kick trying to refine my geometry, you know, get the right like convexity. And, and uh, there's this misconception that like the reason you want a convex grind or an S grind or whatever is for food release. I, I don't. I think food food release is to nice, but it's really about yeah reducing friction. Exactly, drag. That's really what it is. You want you want less cutting force. You know what? You know? I think with that, I think you just set it up to now, which means that in the last hour and twenty minutes, we've made it through the first question of the podcast. <laughs> oh my um, god! So that's good. <laughs> I feel pretty good about that, um, and I think it's a good place to leave off. I'll leave it off by saying. You, you've just torn apart everything I've been doing with my knives. I've got some, some serious soul searching to do, but I appreciate that. Like that was very insightful. Uh, a lot of really excellent points that you brought up and for anybody listening right now, who's trying to improve their kitchen knives, go back and listen to that a second time. I know I will, because there's just a lot of really fantastic tips and information in there. And I'm <clears throat> like, I mentioned Kevin Kent earlier. I'm talking to him, right? Or I'm I'm hoping to uh, show him some of my knives soon, and I'm hoping that he can, you know, sort of give me mm -hmm. something similar to what you, what you've just described. And now I'm a lot more nervous. Well, and he has, we haven't set a date, but he said he'd like to see my knives sometime uh, when he's in this area of the of the province. 
And mm-hmm. so now I'm a lot more nervous about that. Um, but yeah, you brought up some really excellent points and you're going to have to come back. How many questions do I have on the list? To- I'm totally down to come uh, back. I have somewhere around maybe, maybe like 10 questions. Uh, one, two, three, All right, four, ten part series. Here we go. Twelve. So we've got eleven 12, more 12. episodes for you to come on and talk about. <laughs> yeah, um, we can just make a sister podcast to this. That's just us, just ranting. Yeah, the the tangent. <laughs> I don't even know what you'd we'll call. I have it. to come up with a catchy yeah, name for the it. Tangent podcast. Be like, yeah. be like no, Jeff's I... Jeff Fader's old podcast, The Downward Spiral. Yeah, I mean that's basically what. That's a pretty good way. Yeah, of that covers it. this episode pretty well. It was excellent <laughs> yeah. though, and I had a great time having you on. I was, I was out of it. I almost considered canceling recording today, but you've been, like, just so great and insightful, and you made it a really great episode. You didn't make me talk I'm that glad, much, glad. which was probably a relief for everybody involved. Uh, so, <laughs> thank you for coming on, and I hopefully we can have you on again. Yeah, thanks for having me, and and I uh, I apologize for, uh, I'm 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 glad you liked it. I I hope people listening, uh, especially people making kitchen knives, got something from this because I I apologize for this not necessarily being the best uh, delivery of a story. I, <laughs> people, my friends like to make fun of me for being just terrible at telling stories because I just go on so many tangents. That's kind of what I did, but I I think we got in some good yeah, information. Yeah, I liked I liked that story. Uh, and I hope that the listeners did too. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to the Young Makers podcast on the Makery Network. Um, I hope you'll check out Isotunes. I want to shout them out again just because they've been so great. I also recently got Epoxy from CEC Corp. And I will be posting and talking about that soon too. This Not a sponsorship, but more of a sample deal. So we will be checking that out. And hopefully, you know, I'll be letting you guys know. It looks really great and I've heard great things about it though. Um, so thanks to them for, for letting me try it out. And with that, I would love to, uh, well, I, I secretly hate to end this episode. We could go for another hour at least, but yeah, totally. with that, I think it's time to end the episode as Craig would, Craig of Knife Talk podcast would say, that's a show. And so <laughs> you guys have a great night and until next time, keep making, keep listening.